You guys uh, have studied the Bible, right? A lot of you here. What's the sign that you kind of identified with Abraham? Uh, the sign for that is circumcision, right? And what would be the sign that you identified with Moses? The sign for that, in the Jews, was the Sabbath. What was the sign that you identified with John the Baptist? Well, the sign for that would be you got baptized. That kind of makes sense, huh? So what's the sign that you're a Christian? And you guys know the answer, huh? It's love. It's love. I think a lot of people will say, well, rules and regulations. A lot of times people become Pharisees in the church and they miss the whole point. And that's why today's study is so important, you guys. Uh, a lot of lessons here. We begin in verse 23, Mark chapter 2. It says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in hungry and need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so if you're taking notes, uh, you can kind of divide this section up into two uh, areas. Uh, number one is uh, the dilemma. Uh, we're going to see in verses 23 through 24 this whole debate, this drama, this dilemma with the Pharisees and Jesus. And then in verses 25 through 28, we have the defense. Jesus defends the actions of his disciples now, within the dilemma, we see, first of all, in verse 23, something, you know, pretty uh, common. Um, the disciples uh, were hungry. Again, look, it says it happened as that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And so when you read Matthew 12, it gives us like the parallel passage to this. And in verse 1 of Matthew 12, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And so we can all identify with that, huh? Have you guys ever been hungry? You know, sometimes people get grumpy when they get hungry. I don't know if that's you or not, but I've heard that. And, uh, you know, we are so blessed here. Um, I don't know if I've really been hungry in a long time. I mean, if you really think about it, you guys, we're, we're constantly eating, right? And we have food everywhere. We have snacks everywhere. We have 7-Elevens that we can swing by. And, you know, in those days, it was a lot different. Um, we know that when you go to Israel, even today, you still see the the way that, you know, from one city to another city, it's pretty far, not a lot in between. And remember, uh, nine times out of ten, they were walking. So as they're walking, these guys are, are hungry. And as they're hungry, they go kind of by the grain fields. Uh, we don't know for sure if it was corn or grain because different translations, you know, say different things. But either way, what they did was they grabbed a snack and they, you know, were grubbing. They kind of 
would rub the grain together so the chaff would fall and then they would get a little grain and they would eat and they would have sustenance to carry them on for their journey. And so, um, you know, the cool thing about it was within the Levitical law, it was perfectly acceptable. In Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, it says, When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. And so, you know, um, you can go and you could do this perfectly acceptable. You weren't allowed to, you know, carry a bucket or something or, you know, you know, um, you know for us it would be like, like kind of like walking down the street and you see an orange grove and you're hungry and you're like grab an orange and you peel it and you just kind of keep going, you know, because you need that strength for the journey, right? That's what they were doing. So it, was, uh, it wasn't stealing. It was okay according to the scriptures. And, you know, uh, something else just to take into consideration as you're considering the text is that there were times when the disciples were so busy that they didn't have time to eat. Uh, for example, if you read Mark 6, 31, eventually we're going to go there. They were so busy. And when you're really involved in ministry and you got things going on, it can time just flies like that. And before you know it, you know, you've gone uh, a day and you haven't eaten. So... Now, that's where these guys were, and we know they walked miles upon miles with Jesus. And so uh, this is a time when they are seriously hungry. You know, it's interesting, the same Greek word is used of Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 2. It says, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Okay, so these guys are hungry, and uh, they grab a little grain, and they find strength for the journey. So you would think, no big deal, right? I mean, that's cool. But not only were these guys hungry, this is a time when the Pharisees, Pharisees were hostile. And so they, they say, look in verse 24 again, the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees, uh, they were... They were just wicked. They were self-righteous, so-called believers in God. They made God sick. And we have to guard ourselves against this. You know, and, and you guys know, a lot of you guys, you've read your Bible a lot, and you know that Jesus didn't really have a big problem with the prostitutes. He didn't have a, a real big problem with the tax collectors, the drunks. He had some big problems with Pharisees. And he got mad at them. Matthew 23, I mean, he put them in their place. And so we really have to guard ourselves against the spirit of the Pharisees. You know, even though they supposedly originally set out to please God, and perhaps it was with good intentions, you know? I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily in the beginning their motives weren't right. But in the end, they killed God on a cross. You know, their names, the Pharisees, it literally means separated ones. And they prided themselves in that they were separate from sinners. That was their you know, claim to fame. The Pharisees, when you study history, they were a sect that started after the Jewish exile. According to Josephus, who is a historian, they numbered about 6,000 in the days of Christ. 
And they were the guys that wanted recognition and praise by their outward observance of external rites and forms of piety, such as the ceremonial washings, the fastings, the prayers, the almsgiving. You know, the, the crazy thing is, I mean, you had the Pharisees of the day, you had the Sadducees of the day. Uh, the Sadducees, they were not right on in their beliefs, but the Pharisees were. You take a test, what do you believe? You know, tell me your doctrine, boom, they were spot on. They were right on regarding what they believed, but their uh, interpretation was good, but application was where they, they blew it. You know, they took the, the, the Ten Commandments and they made 613 more commandments out of the Ten Commandments. They added hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of man-made laws in their attempt to keep the law. And so when they saw Jesus, who wasn't, man, Jesus was just so beautiful. He wasn't some self-righteous Pharisee. He was just, he walked in perfect harmony with the will of God, the love of God. When they saw Jesus reaching out to sinners and then the crowds were following him, they were so jealous. They were so envious. And that that had found a place in their heart of bitterness and resentment, even to hate and eventually murder. And so, you know, these were the guys that were opposing Jesus Christ. They cared more about their pious and petty man-made rules than they did about people. And so we read this section. We're going to read it next week again if we're still here. Hopefully we get raptured between this week and next week. But if we don't, you know, or, you know, whatever. But, you know, they just keep opposing him. We see it over and over again. In Mark chapter 2, we, we, we studied that in verse 7. They came against Jesus. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? And Mark chapter 2, verse 16, they're like, how is it that he eats with tax collectors and sinners? And again, here again, they're asking why. Why do your disciples do this on, on the Sabbath? What's not what's not lawful to do. Now, the Sabbath uh, was given to the Jews when they came out of uh, Egypt. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's in within your gates. I mean, it was just a day where you're supposed to take a day off. You're supposed to rest. You're, you're supposed to kind of seek the Lord. Uh, later, it was repeated in Exodus 31.15, Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. And it is a serious offense. It says, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. And so, here's the, the, the dilemma. You know, here's the question. Would you say... If you're traveling from one place to another, you know, you're walking, you're weary, and like I said, you grabbed an orange from that tree and you, and you peeled it, um, thank God for it, would you consider that work? Just out of curiosity? I mean, was that a violation of the Sabbath day? Well, apparently they did. The reason is because is they had another book, and that book said you can't do this on the Sabbath day. I mean, you go to Israel today, and it's still like that. It's crazy. They say you can't push the elevator button on the Sabbath day because they consider that to be lifting a burden or work. So you go to Israel today, and guess what? They have the Shabbat elevators, and they stop on every floor. 
Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm not a smart guy or anything, but I can kind of see this is weird. <laughs> this is weird, right? I mean, these guys, they struggled big time. Their pious and petty rules blinded them to the heartbeat of God. See, and that's why you got to be so careful, you guys. You know, you got to know your word. You got to know your word and how it applies. That's wisdom. And you got to make sure that you don't take the human traditions of the day that maybe you were taught by so-and-so, handed down to them from so-and-so, and you think, well, that's Christianity, because it might not be. Next thing you know, you find yourself judging that person because they don't keep your convictions. And it just messes up everything. It blinds you. It blinds you. That's what Jesus said. In Matthew 23, 23 through 24, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. If you want a tithe of your mint garden, praise God, go for it. It's okay to do that, but make sure you don't neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faith, he says, these you ought to have done leaving, without leaving the others undone. He said this, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You got, I mean, have you guys ever swallowed a gnat? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or, they, you know, that little thing. Imagine that. Who cares? Eat it. I mean, it's, it's protein, right? <laughs> but these guys were like... They were, you know, because they, not because they were, they just thought it was going to make them unclean. And so, and they ended up in God's eyes, you know, swallowing a camel. Um, we, I, I, I rode a camel. They're, they're not clean, man. We need to be so careful with our so-called application, lest we find ourselves fighting against God. You know, again, like I said, we'll see next week, they opposed Jesus because he healed a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You know, in John chapter 5, where we're going to see that they were furious with Jesus because, think about this, there was a man who had been, he had been with an infirmity for 38 years. That's a long time, right? It's kind of symbolic of the way the Jews wandered for 38 years. And so anyways, there's this guy, you know, right there by the pool, Jesus healed him. And, the, and, the, and you would figure everybody would say, whoa, that is amazing, 38 years. You know what they said? Who told you to carry your bed? Oh, this guy Jesus. Well, why did, why did he heal you on the Sabbath day? They were so upset that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath day. And so the Lord said in John 7, 23-24, If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? And this is what he said, Do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. And that was their problem. They were judging. They didn't even know what's going on. They didn't even, they were like, oh, from their perspective, this is what I see, but you don't see what God sees. You don't know what God knows. In Luke 13, there was a lady in the synagogue who was hunched over for 18 years. You know, and we go to Cambodia and we see some of these ladies and it just breaks your heart. They're walking around and they're all hunched back. I mean, I just, my heart would just ache for, 
for a lady like that. Imagine her being here in the church and she's been in that condition for 13 years and the Bible says that it was, it was given to her by a demon. It was caused by a demon. Jesus healed her in Luke 13, but they were furious because he did it on the Sabbath. You know, and it's just so crazy. You know, John 9, the blind man, Jesus healed and they were so upset with him. In John 9.16, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. He does keep the Sabbath, but the problem is, is you don't, your application of it is, is from the devil. <laughs> you don't want me to heal people on the Sabbath? I mean, you, I can't have a little grain for my disciples who have been walking and they're weary and they need strength for the journey. That's how much you're pious and petty. You don't care about people. And yet, you know, there are, there are some people like that. You know, this is a dilemma they find themselves in. The disciples are hungry, think about that, and the Pharisees are hostile. So therefore, Jesus gives the defense. In verse 25, again, he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. So, so does that mean, you're, Manny, you're Manny, like, okay, Manny, so we love people. Does that mean anything goes? You know, hey, I'm trying to reach them. Does that mean you just do anything to reach them? You know, there's something that you got to be careful of you can't sin to reach sinners. So, so how do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, I love what Jesus did right here. Is the first thing he did is he pointed them to the Bible. He pointed them to the scriptures, the justification we see here in verses 25 through 26. It's a precept. Jesus goes immediately to the scriptures. And so should we. How do we know what they're doing over there, that church over there? It's kind of weird. How do we know if it's okay to do? Well, you have to test it according to scriptures. It's imperative that everything we do in life has a scriptural support. You remember when the disciples were speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and the guys are like, whoa, what's up with these guys? They're weird. Everybody's watching them, and some accuse them of being drunk. And, and Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was questioned by the crowd. And he said in Acts 2, verse 14 through 16, he said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. This is only the third hour of the day. That would be 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he went on and he quoted Joel 2, 28 through 32. You know, you gotta be, we got to be careful. There are some weird things going on even today in the church. And if it doesn't have scriptural support, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't engage in that. You know, just real simple, not, not in a legalistic or judgmental fashion, but just, you know, search the scriptures, maybe even ask. Um, just out of curiosity, you know, what would you offer for scriptural support for what you're doing you know you got people darking barking like dogs or lying on the on the floor or whatever just weird things i mean and so for us it's cool even jesus 
goes to the Bible for scriptural support. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, it gives us a beautiful balance. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. And then you hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form or appearance of evil. So God is able to do, you know, spiritual things. I mean, don't quench the spirit because when the spirit's moving, I mean, that's what we want. We don't want a dead orthodoxy. We want the Holy Spirit to be moving. Don't quench him. And don't despise prophecies where someone will come and they'll speak a word of knowledge or wisdom or prophecy over your life and you're like, no, I don't do that anymore. Well, the Bible does. It's still a gift in operation today. But what you do is you test everything. You know, some guy comes up to you, you're a young lady. Some guy comes up to you and he says, hey, the Lord told me that you're supposed to marry me. Okay, what would you do with that? You first you hit him, and then after that, <laughs> you run. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't. That's weird to me, man. You test it. You test it. You test everything. People have spoken prophecies over my life. They, oh, the Lord told me to tell you this, and the Lord says this, and you know. And I don't. I'm not like, oh, yeah, right. I'm not like that. I'm like, okay, I'll take it to the Lord. I'll take it to the Lord, and time will tell if you're a false prophet or not. You know, but don't let that, I'm not, I, you know, I won't talk to them anymore. No way, absolutely. We don't quench the spirit, but we test everything. If it violates the scripture, then of course we know it's not the Lord. So we know how to judge the things that take place and our practices in the church. You know, Jesus here, he points them to the scriptures. There in verse 25, have you never read? And he did that a lot, you guys, when you read the scriptures and when they had a question about marriage and divorce. In Matthew 19.4, he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He, he pointed them to the Bible. At the triumphal entry, when the, the children were praising God and, and the, the people were praising Jesus, he said to them, Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. You have perfected praise. When they challenge the reality of the resurrection in Mark 12, 26, again, have you not read? In Mark 12, verse 10, when they rejected Jesus, have you never read the scriptures? And, you know, that's what we got to do. That's why I want to encourage you guys to continue to read your Bibles. I I would say read it every day, and, and just really have a devotional life. Um, keep going to church service. You know, you sit on studies. You listen to it on the radio. 107.9 is a really good station where you're going to hear biblical teaching. I haven't really mentioned that too much. I keep forgetting to put in the bulletin. I'm serious. You'll grow if you turn off sports radio or news radio. I mean, there's so many commercials. I tried that. I'm like, hey, i got to find out what's going on. And man, there's 100,000 commercials. So I turn it back to K-Wave, you know. 107.9. I'm just saying, you get into the Word. You saturate yourself in the Scriptures. Then you're going to know what's, what's right. And we don't have to necessarily sit up here or stand up here and tell you all the, the bad things that are going on in the church. Um, some churches are like that. They're like, they spend all their time telling you all the bad things that are going on out there. And yeah, there's a place for that. 
But primarily, if we just teach you the Bible and encourage you to fall in love with God by reading His Word, then you're going to know immediately when those weird things pop up. And you're going to be protected from everything. And so the key is, is to read it and to heed it, to let it go from here to here. And then you're going to be in good shape, right? Now, in this specific situation, Jesus pointed them to 1 Samuel chapter 21 about the time that David uh, ate some bread uh, that it was given to him uh, by the high priest. Now, um, the, the bread, if you study the scriptures, according to Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, it was to be eaten only by the high priest and his sons. It was to be eaten even in a holy place. Now, the bread, they would make 12 loaves of bread, and they would bring it into the holy place, not the most holy place, but the holy place, and they had a table there. And every Sabbath, they would bring in a fresh bread. And I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, legend or history tells us that that bread that was in the presence of God stayed warm the whole time. Now, how many of you here, just out of curiosity, like warm bread? Oh, man. Just, oh, throw some butter on there and you're, man. <laughs> so, anyways, it was a sacred bread. It was a consecrated bread. It was a special bread that only Aaron was to eat and his, and his sons in a special place. And so that was the law according to Leviticus 24 and in Exodus 29, 32 through 33. It said that no outsider was allowed to eat the bread because it was holy. And so why then when David went to this high priest, why was David allowed to eat it? And, and, you, and, you, and you're kind of like, huh, that's a good question, you know, because he's not a high priest. The Bible says the high priest is the only one that can eat that bread. Why is David allowed? Well, because you've got you to gotta kind of look at it from the, the reality of what's really happening here. If you remember the story, David loved God. He totally loved the Lord. And he did the work of the Lord. And his heart was right. And his motives were right. And Saul was so jealous of him. Saul was so jealous of him that he tried to kill him. And, uh, and eventually it got so bad that, that David had to, he had to run. I mean, he didn't have time to, to get anything. He ran and he ran and he ran to Nob. And he didn't have any food again. He's hungry. And he's like, man, do you guys have any food here? And the high priest said, all we have is this bread. And then the Lord allowed it. It was kind of like an exception. Why? Because here was a man who not only was he physically hungry. I mean, this guy's going through so much in his heart. See, and God saw all that. You know, we look at it and it's just a technicality, right? It's just a technicality. But God looks at it and there's so much more to it, you know? I mean, we have to take God's word and, you know, the things that uh, we see, some matters are weightier than others and, and stuff. And so you kind of have to make a real educated decision. But, you know, we don't take God's, flippant, God's word flippantly or lightly. 
But, you know, sometimes there are times when we make an exception. God would even make an exception. Like, for example, on the Passover, you got to celebrate it here. Oh, but we weren't clean or we weren't there. Or we weren't ready. God says, okay, I'll give you a little exception here. Just, you know, you, know, you can celebrate a little later. That's how God is. And the most important thing is to have that, that heart of God. Now, we're going to see as we go through this here that... Um, what they were interpreting to be God's law was really their tradition. But I think what Jesus here wants us to come away with is how much he loves people. You see? I mean, he begins, first of all, with uh, the scriptural support, right? He begins, first of all, with the justification. And then he corrects a misconception in verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. See, they had a conception that, you know, man was made for the Sabbath when in all reality, the Sabbath was made for man. It's, you know, you have what's called precepts, that's David, and now you have a principle. And you got to know that principle. What's the principle? God wanted to give them rest. That's what the Sabbath was all about. They were missing the whole point of the Sabbath. The whole point was I want to give my people rest. Now, how many of you here like rest? Maybe some of you here don't. There are some people I, even, that are weird. I know that for a fact, right? But I love rest. I do. I mean, a day off. Isn't that cool? Do you guys ever get a day off? Seriously, where nothing like nothing to do. You don't have to mow the grass. You don't have to wash the cat. Nothing, man. It's just a complete day of pajamas. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? We need days like that. God wants to bless you with days of rest, right? But what they did is they took the days of rest, so you can't, thou shalt not work, and they made it more burdensome than anything else. They made it so meticulous. You know, you've got 612 things to worry about. You can't wear false teeth. If you're a tailor, you can't have a nail. There's only a certain amount of yards that you can walk. I mean, they just made it so burdensome to follow God. They missed the whole point. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that God is okay with me taking a day off, that God is okay when we rest once in a while, you know? I mean, do you guys ever take a nap, ever? Some people never, they, oh, I can't, you know, because I got too much to do. And then you're all cranky with everybody. And, and in all reality, you don't get anything done. You need your rest. God knows that. What happened to your phone if it didn't rest? I mean, even your phone needs to get recharged, right? You know, Genesis 2 verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. I mean, the, that, that day of rest is supposed to be a blessing. You know, Exodus 23, 12, again, Six days you shall do your work, and the seventh day you shall rest. It says that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and a stranger, like this, may be refreshed. See, and, and we got to be careful that we don't read the scriptures and make rules and we make precepts, but we don't know the principles. We know all the commandments of God, 
and the hammer of God, but not the heart of God. You see? And we can do that even in the church. You know, how many you know, rules do we have? You know, so many. And, and some of them, they're good. You know, they're good. One thing that I think is good is going to church every Sunday. I think that's cool, you know. Unless you have a really valid excuse, I would say it's so neat to see you guys here on Sunday. And I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all here, you know. But if next Sunday you're like, oh, I don't feel like it, you better come, okay. But uh, I think it's good to be in service every Sunday. But let's just say one Sunday you're on your way to church service. And you see uh, an elderly lady broken down on the side of the road, you know. Would you find it in your heart maybe to pull over and ask her if she needs help? And let's just say that she does need help. She's all, Sonny, can you help me change my tire? And, you know, then you got a decision to make. You're like, well, I can't. I would, but I have to go to church service, you know. Sorry, lady. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, and then you leave. And you walk in the doors and you're like, man, I love God. I'm so, you know, good. And, and the Lord is just like, man, you're a bum. I mean, I can't believe it that you didn't help that lady over there, man. You know, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, we have our uh, don't forsake the assembling, okay? That's the scripture. And, uh, and I think Jesus went to church every week. And so, yeah, there's a really good point as far as trying to be here at least once a week. We need it. But you know what I'm talking about? That when you got something, you're going to go help somebody move, or there's a certain God is is okay with that. You know, um, that's why even the Good Samaritan is such a good illustration. Remember that story of the man who was beaten by thieves. He was left to die, and a priest passes by, and he and he just passes by. He doesn't help him because he says, "I can't touch him." Um, if I do, I'll be unclean. I'll break the, you know, the law. And then a Levite passed by. I can't help him because I have to go and do my service right now. And then finally what ends up happening is a Samaritan comes. And they thought the Samaritans were the worst. But sometimes you'd be surprised that the ones that you think are the worst are the best in God's eyes. Because they know that it's not about petty rules and regulations. It's about people that God loves. The Pharisees, oh man, they were, they were bad. And so, you know, how do we know? Well, you got to know the precepts. You got to know the principles. And then the last thing is this, and you got to know the person. Look at verse 28. It says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. You know, like, why, why are you coming against Jesus? I mean, you guys, we should, we should fall in love with Him. You know, we should know that it's all about Him and who He is and how He is. I always try to tell people that you know, holiness is being like Jesus. And so when the Lord here in the end, he gives them the conclusion, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, it's almost like a conclusion. I want you guys to know this, that the Son of Man 
is also Lord of the Sabbath. And it always comes back to that, doesn't it? Who is Jesus? Amen. He's the Lord God Savior. He's the Son of Man. And that's a title that he has taken from Daniel. That means he's the Messiah. He's God who became a man. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And what that means is not that he had, you know, in his heart to come and, you know, to overrule the law, so to speak. No, it meant that he came to fulfill the law. You know, and in him, this is interesting, the way that it works, and he's trying to share with these guys here that it all comes back to him and, and wanting them to have rest. That really is. So here's the Pharisees, and they're thinking that they can please God with all their rules and regulations. Here's the Pharisees. They go to church every week. They fast twice a week. They give tithes and... Uh, and they're going to hell. They're going to hell because they have a religion and not a relationship. They have a program and not a person. And the Lord here, after that justification and correcting that misconception, He ends with an identification of who He is. And He just ends with that. He says, you guys are fighting me tooth and nail, but... You guys got to come on my team because you got to understand who I am. I'm the one who will give you rest. You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, it says, He who has entered his rest, speaking of Jesus' rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. See, maybe you're here today and, you know, you're, you're a Christian and maybe you've been struggling a little bit with uh, being a Pharisee. And hopefully God will speak to you. Um, I know for me as a parent, the one part where I can really violate this is with my children. You know, where I just, hey, you guys got to do boom, 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 boom. You got to be perfect. And, and thank God Jesus isn't like that with me. You know, but we can do it to others. I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away my sins. I want to be, you know, right on, spot on, but I'm going to fall short. I thank God that I'm not saved by works. I have entered into a rest. And we got to make sure that we have that in our hearts. That's why Jesus gave that invitation. Let's close over in Matthew uh, chapter 11. In verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the, the Pharisees and the People of the day, they were all caught up in their rules and regulations. And it was such a burden, man, to keep. You know, it was a drag being a disciple, you know. It, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, man, it just, this is a, I don't know, man. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a drag. Uh, being a Christian should be a great adventure. Being a Christian should be exciting. 
uh, being a Christian should be enjoyable, right? I mean, I think joy is probably a good word for us, huh? You got any joy? Mm, we got a scowl, man. You've been sucking on lemons or something. I was like, man, you're a Christian and you never smile? I mean, you're a Christian and all you are is bummed out and depressed and beat up and... No, I mean, why? We've been set free, right? But it's because we got all these burdens. And, and that's why Jesus said, if you're here and you're a Christian like that, or maybe you're here and you're, you're a non-Christian and maybe you're caught up in works, some type of work-oriented relationship with God and maybe you're in religion and you know, you're thinking you can earn your way to God. And Jesus said, no, that'll never happen. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So what does he say? This is how it works. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. That's the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath was all about. When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, yeah, there are. It doesn't mean you just do whatever. I mean, you've got a you know, yoke. You're going to be walking with Jesus. And he's got certain parameters for you to walk in. But it's awesome because he's so cool. He's so amazing. He's so wonderful. He's got a plan for your life that, that, that man, it couldn't be written any better. So you yoke yourself uh, to Jesus. But the thing is, is that it's going to be a blessing because he is gentle, it says in verse 29, and meek. That's what it means, lowly in heart. And at the end of the day, you're going to find rest for your souls. Rest. I don't know if you guys know what that is. You want to know why? Because you're workaholics. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, you're not an alcoholic, but you're a workaholic now. You've traded in one addiction for another. You don't have any rest. There's never any days where you just slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I find myself, because I have a, a million things to do. How many of you here have a million things to do? Just out of curiosity, I gotta fix my wall, I gotta pull the weeds, I gotta put the floor down, I gotta wash the car and, you know, study for that and study for this. And so, what I find myself, I'm always in a hurry. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Always in a hurry. Even when I'm not in a hurry, I'm in a hurry, you know? And you know what that does? It just totally thrashes you. And God just says, relax. I, I, I'm what the Sabbath is all about. You just come to Him and you're going to find rest for your souls. You got a choice. We all have a choice. You know, um, we could be Pharisees or we can be followers of Christ. I pray that you would choose to follow him. I really do. Now, I was reading a story. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that guy, uh, Simeon Stylites. You guys ever heard of that guy? He was weird. Um, he was born in the fourth century and he was a, a, an ascetic from Syria. And this is what, if you guys take that church history class, one of the interesting things you'll learn about church history is whenever there was a carnal like movement in the church, you know, when the church kind of reverted to getting carnal, there was always an ascetic response. So it was always like extremes. So it could be, you know, in the days of Constantine, it could be after the days after the Reformation. 
Um, just when there was a movement of God and then there was a nominal movement, then there would be an ascetic movement. And so that's what happened in the days of uh, Simeon the Stylitis. And uh, this guy, uh, crazy, after Constantine made Christianity more or less the religion of the culture, um, imagine that if our president said, okay, all of you have to be Christians. Imagine that. You'd be like, well, that'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. But in, at the same time, you'd wonder, is it real? I'm a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. So it was really a watered-down time. Interesting. So, you know, those who were really Christians, they saw this is not right. And so they went to the extreme, and they became ascetics. And ascetics means that so those are separated, kind of like the Pharisees. Did you know that the Pharisees were established right after the exile? Because they, oh man, we were off with God, now we've got to get right on with God. And again, they went to the extreme. So anyways, in this time, this guy, uh, Simeon, he was 13 years old, and he read the Beatitudes. And he was like, wow, that's awesome. And so he decided to become a monk. And he went into a monastery. And this guy was so wanting to be separate that he was even an extreme in the monastery. And they kicked him out. They said, you're weird. <laughs> You know, when they're all weird, this guy was so weird. And so you know what he did? He went to a, he found a cliff, and it was about 60 feet in diameter. And he said, I'm going to live my life here, separate from the world. Well, apparently it wasn't far enough, and so people would still come up to him and talk to him, and he didn't like it. He said, no, I just want to be alone with God. So you know what he did? He went and he found uh, some ruins, and there was a pillar the first one was nine feet. By the time he was done, 37 years living on this pillar, it was 50 feet high. Imagine that, living on that. And it was three feet in diameter. And he lived there. You know, the kids would put, bring ladders and they would give him food. I mean, this guy was weird. You know? And you go back to what it's all, is that what it's all about? Separate from sinners, Pharisees? No. I told you guys, the sign that you follow Abraham is you get circumcised. You follow Moses, you keep the Sabbath. You follow John the Baptist, you got baptized. But you follow Jesus, you love people. I pray we wouldn't forget that, you guys, because he loves you. God help us to be in the world, but not of the world. God help us to be not people who just have a religion, but truly we have a relationship with God to the point that we can see beyond the superficial. We're not blind by a religion. And we have a heart that beats after the heart of our God. See, that's what these lessons are all about. You know what we can walk away with? Number one, the authority of the Bible. Remember that? You test everything that way. Number two, the sensitivity of God towards people. Don't forget that. But then number three, the identity of Jesus. See, he's Lord and he loves you.